Welcome to The Exchange. I'm Dan Riley. The Exchange is a streaming internet talk show and podcast of interviews with noteworthy people about their lives, ideas, and current events. This week I sit down with Jason Riggs, Communications Director at Kiva. During our conversation, Jason talks about the creation of Kiva, its growth challenges and successes over its 10-year history, and how microfinance provides small loans to those in need of economic opportunities. Welcome to the show. Today I'm in Kiva headquarters in San Francisco, California with Jason Riggs, the communications director of this nonprofit. Uh, Jason, first of all, I just want to say thanks for coming on the show and talking to the listeners. It's great to be here. Thanks for having me. Thank you. I'd love to start by learning a little bit about you and your personal background. How did you find out about Kiva initially and what brought you into this organization? What got you interested in Kiva? Well, um, for me, I've always worked in the nonprofit sector, um, working on social progressive issues and economic justice issues, and it's kind of a family trait. Yeah. Um, it's uh, something I've been dedicated to my entire life, and if uh, my, my dad's a minister, my mom's a teacher, and you go back generation after generation, you find the same kind of thing of people uh, being of service in their community. Mm-hmm. And uh, for me, I worked in uh, public policy advocacy for many years, mm-hmm. where it was all about writing your legislator or raising money for political campaigns to try to get your issues forward. And uh, the more and more money came into politics for me, the more I got disenchanted with um, that kind of model of doing change making in the world. And uh, that's when I heard about Kiva from my parents. Um, And the idea of being able to uh, own the causes that I care about in a new way Um, And being able to go directly to people who were uh, working to improve their lives um, and do so in a way that was sustainable and and that it didn't require going through a government or a politician to make that change. That's what got me really excited about Kiva was um, I could make a loan of $25 or more to someone um, who's maybe looking for a, a way to buy a solar light so their kid could study at night. I could be a part of that person's vision, a part of that person's journey, um, lend my money, get paid back, relend that same amount of money again to a different person, and affect change in the world in that way. And, mm-hmm. and to me, being able to to have that kind of an effect without the roadblock of money in politics, for example, yeah. was a really powerful thing. Yeah. And talk to me a little bit about how Kiva came into existence. Where did the idea come from? How did the idea of what, what Kiva is actually get implemented in the world initially. Yeah. Well, uh, so Kiva.org has been around since 2005. And uh, basically what we do is we um, connect people through lending to alleviate poverty. And so we do that by people lending um, as little as $25 and crowdfunding a loan. Um, and so that person, whatever their loan request is from Uh, buying a new sewing machine so they can expand their sewing business, or like I said before, maybe a solar light so their kid can study at night. Um, It it started with that very simple idea that sometimes it takes just a little bit of capital for somebody to succeed um, and help their life reach a a tipping point. Mm -hmm. Um, The idea started with uh, Premal Shah, who's the current president of Giva.org, along with um, Matt Flannery and Jessica Jackley, Um, uh, Matt and Jessica were in um, Eastern Africa, uh, in Uganda, and uh, what they saw was um, 
a lot of really entrepreneurial people, you know, we're sitting here near Silicon Valley and we think entrepreneur, we're thinking people are making the latest app or the newest website, right? Um, but these were people with a true entrepreneurial spirit um, who had multiple jobs um, to increase their livelihood and help their kids go to school, keep a roof over their head. And they were coming up with some really creative and inventive ways to do it mm -hmm. with very few resources. And uh, Matt and Jessica realized that, uh, again, with just a little bit of help, um, they could truly succeed. So um, little things like if you're, uh, if you're a fisherman, you know, um, you're, the product you can bring to market is as much as what you can put in an ice chest. So if you can buy an ice chest that's twice as big, you can double your profits. Mm -hmm. It's a really simple thing. Um, and what they found was that there wasn't a lot of money to be able to lend to these people in a sustainable way. And that's where the idea of, of Kiva came in. Mm -hmm. um, Matt and Jessica both realized that um, people around the world were, were willing to help um, and that the people who would be potential borrowers they weren't looking for a handout. They mm -hmm. weren't looking for charity. They were just looking for just that little bit of capital to succeed. Um, and so when Matt uh, and Premel, who were both from the Silicon Valley area, um, Matt at TiVo at the time mm. and Premel at uh, uh, PayPal, mm. um, when they realized they could bring this new concept of, of Internet money and Internet good to bear to one of the world's most seemingly intractable problems, poverty, um, and, and really marry that goodwill together um, through Kiva. That's that was really the spark hmm. there. You mentioned that it's not it's not a handout. It's it's, it's sort of the emerging of a, a loan that people who give it expect to be paid back. But also there's heart behind it. It's it's the, the purpose of the loan is to try to get people out of poverty. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. Um, so the. The idea here is that um, in traditional philanthropy, uh, what you do is you donate, and that money's that money goes to the organization, and then the programs get uh, provided, mm -hmm. right? And that's a very important model. Um, Kiva puts a twist on that, um, in that it's it's a loan, mm -hmm. um, not a donation. So when you put twenty five dollars in, you get twenty five dollars back. As a lender, it's very uh, philanthropic in that you're not making any monetary interest off the loan that you provide, the $25 or more that you're able to provide. Um, and what that does is it makes it, um, that capital that you're providing, it makes it much, uh, it's much easier for that money to get into the right hands, the right places, the right people, the right time, um, rather than more expensive, more commercial capital that charges an interest along with, uh, with the principal. Gotcha. So um, the, Often what people are doing uh, with the loans, um, it really varies across the board. Um, uh, sometimes it's being able to buy in bulk uh, for your retail shop in your village. Um, sometimes it's to buy a net for your fishing business. Sometimes it's a sewing machine for your sewing business. Um, but Kiva's been uh, kind of evolving um, over time uh, from what's considered more traditional microfinance and moving into things like... Uh, crowdfunding loans for clean energy or crowdfunding mm. loans for tuition for students to go to school mm. um, or experimenting with different types of loan products mm -hmm. um, that go beyond the more cookie cutter approach that microfinance has become known for. So when, going back in time, I mean, yeah. the, the very beginning of when the first loans were being allocated, what did that overhead look like? How was Kiva actually able to 
make that transaction possible and know that it was going to the right people and facilitate the whole process? Well, um, at the very beginning, uh, Kiva um, worked through volunteers. So there weren't a lot, there was no overhead, there was no office, there was no staff people. Um, it was just a group of volunteers for a very long time. Um, and uh, the, the thing, I think the first actual salaries were uh, uh, health insurance. <laughs> no other thing other than health insurance for a while. Um, but it, it kind of, Kiva came about at a, at a perfect moment in, in time. Um, uh, Mohammed Yunus, who founded Microfinance in the 1970s, uh, won the Nobel Peace Prize in 2006. Kiva was t founded in 2005. Mm -hmm. Um, as a very volunteer-driven type of thing. Um, and this is a time before Twitter existed. You know, Facebook was still in college. People were still using Friendster. Um, so this this idea of using the Internet with people's faces and, um, and transacting money um, was a very, very new thing. So you had this kind of new novelty mm -hmm. of the Internet. Um, you had Mohammed Yudnis winning the Nobel Peace Prize. Um, and then uh, just after that, Oprah... Uh, uh, featured Bill Clinton on her show, um, and he had written a book called Giving and mentioned Kiva in the book. And so when um, Oprah Winfrey was interviewing President Clinton about um, his book, he mentioned Kiva and uh, and then also Frontline did a story with Kiva as well. So with that early media attention and just striking the moment just right, Kiva just exploded onto the scene mm -hmm. um, and was able to crowdfund a million dollars in its first year, and that was up from $50,000 in 2005 to a million dollars in 2006. Mm -hmm. And today, Kiva crowdfunds $2.5 million per week. Um, yeah, so it's, it's quite a, a Cinderella story um, in the way that it was able to grow and grow so quickly. Um, that being said, you know, there were a lot of challenges along the way. They were doing something that had never been done before. And one of the things that they had to figure out pretty quickly was how do you transact money in multiple countries um, uh, as to release payments and then collect repayments, right? And so the way that they do that to reach people on a very local level, even people across the digital divide, is uh, Kiva works with a network of about 270 field partners. Mm -hmm. um, and field partners can be nonprofit organizations, uh, they can be microfinance institutions, universities, social enterprises. Um, and those people are the folks who uh, identify the borrowers, um, distribute the money, administer the loan, collect repayments, and uh, post the profiles of the borrowers on the site. So those field partners do a lot of work to make sure that there are borrowers on the site. Um, and Kiva is basically uh, bringing to bear the 1.5 million lenders around the world that we have to the loan requests that are sourced by those field partners. Mm -hmm. And that's the more typical model of how Kiva's been able to scale and also keep really good controls from kind of a financial audit perspective as well. You're mentioning just the the incredible growth that that Kiva's had over the last ten or fifteen years, and and the initial founders were, kind of like in in Uganda, where they hatched the idea or began to discuss the idea of what Kiva would become. Talk about the growth of Kiva. I mean, did it start in Africa and then expanded to other continents? How did how did that process work? Yeah, um, so it started in in Uganda, and then it slowly reached uh, farther through East Africa. 
um, and then uh, moved into new continents. We're in um, 80 different countries right now. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, the the growth is challenging because lending laws, you know, are di- especially from international lenders, are different in every country. And in the United States, they might even be different in every state, right? Um, so there's a lot of, of regulations that go along with that. Um, an example is that um, typically on Kiva, what happens is you make a loan, um, and then d- there are different loan terms mm-hmm. for every loan, um, depending on the field partner and the, and the borrower themselves. Um, but typically what happens is you, you make your $25 loan, um, and then you start getting uh, like a a repayment of $2.50 every month for like, let's say 10 months. Right. And then, so at the end of the loan term, 10 months, uh, you're fully repaid, right. uh, your $25. Um, but we wanted to go into India very much. Um, but the, the regulations in India say that any foreign money coming from outside of India to be lent within the country has to stay within India for at least three years. So that changes our our lender experience dramatically, right? Mm-hmm. If you pick a, somebody with a ten month loan, but you don't get pay your own money back for ten or th- sorry for three years, right. that's that's a really different lender experience. So there was a lot of back end stuff we had to shift depending on different regulations. So it can it it can appear very simple when you're clicking through the website at kiva dot org, but uh, when you start unpacking, you know, just a few uh, layers underneath. And you start getting into all these regulations, it gets complicated pretty quickly. The difficulties you mentioned sounded like a lot of them are bureaucratic. Are there other cultural difficulties that you've experienced, pushback from different cultures in different countries for specific reasons or not particularly? Um, you know, there there are some things that, that can make it challenging. Uh, so, for example, in the Middle East, um, uh, we very much want to work in the Middle East uh, and uh, have been for a while. Um, but culturally, the idea of putting your face on the internet, especially if you're a woman, um, for others to look at is not culturally acceptable. So uh, what we've decided to do for, for folks with that kind of um, uh, concern mm-hmm. um, is that we will blur the faces of the woman um, and or somebody can be a stand-in for the woman, um, typically her husband or a, a male family member. Right. And um, that breaks, you know, the connection between the lender borrower a little bit from a visual standpoint. Um, but we wanted to really um, not only honor the culture uh, and the sensitivities around that, mm-hmm. um, but wanted to make sure that the women who are being uh, supported through these loans had the opportunity, regardless of whether or not they were willing to show their face. Yeah. How about the, the great success stories? I mean, are there specific countries or parts of the world that you would regard as being the most successful? And, and if there are success stories... What are they? Um, you know, I think everybody has their favorite. Um, uh, I, I, there are a few that stand out for me. There's one man who uh, was in Sierra Leone, um, and he uh, lived in a small village. Um, there was an election going on, and uh, he um, voted for the wrong person. Um, so the person he voted for did not win. Um, and so uh, people who were... Um, Supporters of the person who won uh, came to his village and cut off the hands of all the people that voted against him. Um, and so uh, his hands were cut off, um, and his father spent the family life savings to rent a motorcycle to take his son to the hospital um, to save his life. Um, and he's somebody that uh, 
worked closely with one of our field partners, um, was able to get a loan for a small um, shoe shop business and uh, uh, shoe repair business uh, in his village. And um, he's become so successful. Um, you know, he went from having no livelihood, um, obviously having life-threatening injuries, a terrible situation for him. And now he's married. He has a few kids. Um, he has a, a very successful business, and he's making uh, enough money that he's not only helping his kids go to school um, with school fees, but he's also supporting his brother's kids as well. So this is somebody who had really everything going against him, um, but with just a little bit of, of capital support and a lot of, uh, obviously, effort and, and will on his part, was able to um, really move forward in his life. Um, and that's one of, uh, I think, one, well, one of millions of stories of people who have benefited through the generosity of the, the people who lend on Kiva. Yeah. In determining who gets a loan, working with the, the partners that you have around the world, is the the screening process very intense? Do you, I know your return on loan rate, as I understand it, is very, very high. Mm -hmm. Is that because the screening process is so difficult? And if that is the case, how do you screen people for loans? Yeah. So um, we don't screen ourselves yeah. uh, for loans. Our field partners are the ones that are, are doing that. Um, so really our screening process is at the field partner level. Um, and what we look for are, are microfinance institutions and other organizations that have a very strong social mission. Mm. So um, you know, microfinance is, is, has grew up quickly. Um, and the way Muhammad Yunus started it was it was very much about poverty alleviation. Mm. Um, and it grew up very quickly. And then, frankly, there were some bad players and still are some bad, bad players in the microfinance sector um, where it's all about uh, profit motive. Um, those are not the partners that we choose. Um, in fact, uh, the profitability of our partners on average overall is a negative 1%, yeah. which means that it, on average it costs them money to make loans. Um, they're not profiting from the loans they're making. So we, we look at that as that social mission kind of perspective. Um, we also make sure that um, their, their client protection principles are in place um, and that the clients that they are bringing on board as borrowers are not over-indebted um, and that their collection practices are uh, in line and not um, harsh. Mm -hmm. um, so I think because our field partners are truly looking to benefit their community and help grow their community in a sustainable way through the loan programs that we support, but also the, the social services that are being supported uh, by the field partner as well, um, I think that mix of things really helps. Um, some people think of, of microfinance institutions as just like banks. You know, you go in and the only program they have is a loan officer. But uh, uh, what happens more often than not on our platform is that our field partners are not only doing lending programs, but they're also doing things as varied as neonatal health care. Um, they're doing literacy programs. They're doing health programs. Um, they're doing business training. So these are kind of mini community centers in a lot of ways. Um, and because of that perspective, um, we're, we're dealing with folks who are being treated well um, and who have uh, the support they need um, to have successful businesses. Mm -hmm. That being said, not every business is a, is a, a success and not every loan is fully repaid. Um, and some regions are just go through so much conflict or 
natural disasters. You know, in the Philippines, we find a lot of people in the Philippines, and they keep getting run over by um, these typhoons. Um, so uh, it's it's not a safe bet, but it's a good bet um, on Kiva. We do have a 98% repayment rate um, historically over time. Um, so it's, like I said, it's a good bet, but not a safe bet. Right. You mentioned, I think, that you, you have globally something like 270 partners at this point. Mm-hmm. Are, is Kiva always looking for new partners to potentially expand, or are they relatively okay with how things are right now? Um, I think both. Uh, one thing we've done um, increasingly over time, so uh, I mentioned briefly that microfinance grew rather quickly, right. almost kind of through a cookie-cutter approach, right. which is uh, you get a loan of an average $400, then your repayments are due and start being due in two weeks. And then every week thereafter, the loan is paid off. Like that's, everybody knows that model. Everybody knows the risk related to that model, the default risk related to that model. Um, but because Kiva comes in with capital, um, that costs no money to the field partner, um, who's administering the loan. Um, and because we take on the default risk. So if, if the borrower defaults, it's the lender, our individual lenders who don't get paid back. Right. So it makes it really risk tolerant. We actually wanted to start doing something that really pushed the boundaries a little bit more. So um, an example is uh, we, we're working with a lot of partners to do what are called bullet loans. Um, and uh, basically the idea is if you're a farmer um, and you need a, a loan for seeds, um, you're not going to be able to start paying back in two weeks, right. right? You're not. You can. You have to wait till the harvest before your money's coming in, really. So uh, we look at grace periods. How does that have an effect on repayment rates over time? If we give a grace period, right. can we find partners who are willing to give loans that have a grace period? That's one example. Another example are tuition loans. Outside of the U.S. and and most developed of the developed world, tuition loans are really rare. Yep. You know, they're. There are students, um, there's like a 10-year grace period maybe or a six-year grace period. Um, because there are no tuition loans in that country maybe, there's no history of repayment, so you have no idea what's going to happen, and you have these loans on your books for a really long time. Mm-hmm. But again, because our capital is risk-tolerant patient, um, we've been working with a lot of partners to develop uh, school loans and tuition loans. Mm-hmm. Another might be... Um, uh, uh, loans for clean energy products. Mm -hmm. Um, so we're looking at how do we, how do we find really good, um, clean energy products that are going to stand the test of time and not fall apart in a week. Um, but we'll stand the test of time, help bring down the energy costs of a household so they can use that savings to repay back the loan. And then at the end of the loan period, still have this wonderful, um, clean energy product. right? Right. So there are a lot of different things that we're, that we're experimenting with. Um, that are pushing the boundaries of microfinance in a new way. And we hope that open up capital. Um, and if we can prove repayments, like students prove that they are a good bet and they, and they will repay, then that means that more commercial capital will come in after Kiva to fund tuition loans. Right. You know, we'd love to be able to fund every loan in the world that was worthwhile and needed our support. That's not going to happen. But what we can do is kind of be the canary in the coal mine in yeah. a way, yeah. um, prove what works, prove what doesn't. So that more commercial capital can come in afterward and really fill the need in a way that maybe Kiva can't. Right. I think we, we were talking a little bit before the interview started about uh, the programs that you have at universities in the U.S. and, and maybe elsewhere in, in the world. Um, 
if college students are listening to this interview and are interested in getting involved, they may not have capital currently to be able to invest, but they do have time and, and energy. Um, talk a little bit about the university program, how that works, how young people can get involved in, in what you're doing here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so um, we have a program uh, called Kiva U. It's found at kivau.org. And uh, basically, it's a, it's a network of uh, colleges and universities um, and also K through 12 student or mm-hmm. sorry, yeah, students, teachers. Mm-hmm. Um, so for the younger folks, K through 12, uh, what we have are a series of curriculum um, so that they can be incorporated into the classroom. Um, there's a lot of talk about Common Core. Mm-hmm. Um, so we have a curriculum based on Common Core standards so that uh, people can learn about math, geography, finance through the lens of uh, uh, Kiva borrowers. Mm-hmm. Um, for for the college and university level folks, uh, there are a lot of microfinance clubs at different universities. Um, there are a lot of clubs uh, who are organized around maybe uh, climate change, clean energy, things like that. Um, so uh, what they can do is they can go to kivau.org and they can find a, really a, a community of other folks um, who are interested in the same kind of things that they are and trade ideas, events, um, curriculum, books, um, movies, etc. Yeah. You also mentioned that if, if you could, Kiva would love to give every qualified loan a loan everywhere in the world. Is there a way to know the percentage? You're obviously making a dent in that, but is there a way to know the percentage of loans in the world that would like to get a loan that are not getting a loan right now. And you know, we were talking about tapping the resources of university students. Is there a way to tap into the economic resources of corporations or very wealthy people to try to fill more of those loans in the world? Yeah, absolutely. Well, that, you know, the first thing to say is that loans are not always appropriate, right? Um, you know, the, when a disaster happens or um, there's a, a, a devastating conflict that, that breaks the back of the infrastructure of a country or the institutions of a country, really what people need is is charity, mm-hmm. um, is relief. Um, but when it's time, like in Haiti, you know, we're talking uh, uh, the day after the five-year anniversary of the Haiti quake, um, that's a country still trying to just become sustainable. Right. Um, so much of its GDP is based on donation or charity, um, but that's not sustainable in the long run for the country, and it's not necessarily good for the country in the long run either. Right. So uh, that's where I feel like the the loan model comes in, or social impact investing really comes in, mm-hmm. is how to how to build a sustainable economy for the citizens of that that country. Everyone knows about Bill Gates and what Bill Gates is doing. Is is it possible for organizations like Kiva to go to very wealthy people who may not even be donating? money at all to see if they can utilize some of their money to do what you're doing here? Yeah. One of the other ways that, that Kiva finds support, not only with individual lenders lending like $25 at a time is we do have corporate uh, partners um, who provide loans for matching, you know? So if I lend 25, then the corporation will lend 25 up to a certain amount. And we're very lucky to have great partners in um, Citibank, Capital One, uh, just to name a few. Um, and uh, those folks have been uh, really supportive of the programs, um, but there's there's a huge need. You know, there are millions of people who are unbanked or underbanked around the world, and microfinance and Kiva are just reaching, you know, a drop in the bucket of that that full market. So um, our hope is that uh, through Kiva and other crowdfunding platforms like Kiva, um, that some of this unmet need can be met mm-hmm. um, through uh, the lending 
the lending process. Yeah. I'd love to also talk about what it's like. Kiva is about people. And for the people who are living in poverty, it's probably very difficult for most Americans to really understand what that existence is actually like. What is a day in the life of someone who is hopelessly impoverished like and what can 300 400 500 dollars in a loan actually do to change their daily existence mm -hmm. well you know i'm not poor myself i'm not living in that situation um i think to me what it means um is having the passion having the understanding having the need but not having simply the means right um, it's the talent is universal, but opportunity is not. Um, and I feel like that, that untapped potential and that unrealized, not even dream, just livelihood of being able to make sure that your kids are going to be better off than you are. Mm -hmm. Um, that, that part is the heartbreaking part of poverty from my perspective. Um, and that if I can be a part of um, helping somebody bridge out of that unfairness um, and toward opportunity, then I've done a small piece of my responsibility in this world. Mm. Um, and it truly is just a, a little bit can go a long way. Um, uh, I think the average median household income in the United States is somewhere around $40,000 a year. And we're working in, in countries where the the median household income might be somewhere around five hundred dollars you know this is really really different mm. um granted they're in a different economy with with different costs but still that's that's a long way to go right. um one of the one of the things i've heard a lot is just how much planning <laughs> it takes to live on on that little money little amount of money um because you, you can't just you know, go to the bank and get cash in your pocket or, you know, buy lunch at the corner or anything like that. It really is about planning way out far in advance, just your basic needs, mm -hmm. basic, basic needs. Um, and the, the small dollar loan, um, there's, there's another story of a woman who, uh, she and her husband were, were worked for a fisherman. So they, they leased a boat and they worked off of somebody else's boat with the loan, they got from Kiva, they were able to um, uh, increase the, the amount of time they were out on the boat. Mm. And with that increased profit, they in turn were able to buy a boat. Mm. And now they have a fleet of four or five boats mm. um, really running their own business, mm. right? So it's it was that first loan, that small dollar amount that got them to be able to work longer hours so that they could, again, reach that tipping point. Yeah. Um, and it's... And I gave the example of the the ice chest earlier. You know, if you can buy an ice chest twice as big, you can bring twice as much to market, right. um, and that that makes a huge difference. If you could double your income, why not? Right? Yeah. For people like that, I mean, if the couple that rents the boats and and can stay out longer and make more money, how do they find out about Kiva? Kiva? How do people who are maybe not connected to the internet, aren't generally connected to technology, how do they first learn generally about what you do? And how do you see that changing as the price of technology goes down and everyone in the world or an increasing number of people in the world are getting access to the internet? Mm -hmm. 
Well, it's, it's again, it kind of, it goes back to our great field partners that we have. Um, the, those are the folks who have the relationships on the ground and in their communities. And so, uh, they're able to introduce, uh, Kiva to those borrowers. Um, and so they're, these are borrowers that will go to their, their local nonprofit or their local microfinance institution, um, ask for any information about a loan. Um, the field partner will kind of evaluate the needs of the borrower, determine if they're appropriate for a Kiva, Kiva loan, because they give out other loans, right. other loan products as well, um, figure out if they're appropriate for a Kiva loan or not. Um, but as technology is developing, uh, there's actually a lot of, of really cool stuff going on. So one of the new programs at Kiva is a, a program called Kiva Zip. Um, and it's a program that we're piloting here in the United States for loans, as well as in uh, Kenya. And uh, we chose those two countries because we have staff people in both countries um, and because both countries have a really robust uh, online payment uh, systems. Um, in Kenya, it's called M-Pesa. And M-Pesa is basically uh, phone credits um, that are transferable from one phone to another. And people are using it as if it's currency. So uh, instead of spending, you know, 50 cents on a soda at the corner market, I'm spending 50 cents worth of phone credits that I transfer to that local um, shop owner's phone from my phone. Mm -hmm. um, and so we're, we're doing loan um, payments and repayments via M-Pesa mm -hmm. in Kenya. Mm -hmm. um, and here in the U.S., we're using PayPal. Um, and because uh, we're doing it in uh, this more direct model without field partners, um, we're able to offer these loans at 0% interest and no fees. Um, here in the United States, uh, what we focus on are small business owners who are financially excluded in some way and or who are doing social good through their small business. Okay. Um, an example of folks who are, are maybe financially excluded here in the U.S. Um, are folks who maybe their credit history is too young. You know, maybe they're a young person. Maybe they, uh, they're an uh, immigrant or a refugee, um, or maybe their credit history is damaged in some way. I don't think many people came out of the recession without some kind of damage on their credit report. Um, and we also know that lending has been drying up for small businesses, especially the smallest of small businesses here in the United States. And we also know that small businesses create two out of three net new jobs uh, in, in the U.S. And so when we look at Main Street recovery and we look at um, job creation. We're really looking at small businesses. And I would say, you know, the small businesses, um, those types of jobs are local jobs. Um, the, the jobs reports we have out right now are fantastic. Mm -hmm. um, the shadow side of that is uh, wages are stagnant, if not shrinking. Um, people aren't getting all the hours that they need. So people are looking to augment their income in different ways. And they do that either through getting a job at a small business locally, or they do that through starting their own small business. Right. And that's really what Kiva Zip is designed to help provide is people who, for some reason, are on the raw side of the deal um, as small business entrepreneurs in the United States and giving them a glimmer of hope um, through a small dollar loan to help them start or expand their, their concepts. Yeah. Last question I want to ask you. I, you mentioned that Microfinance grew up very quickly, and Kiva's only been around for 15 years. I mean, less than two decades, I think. Um, where do you see Kiva going? Is Kiva just at its very beginning, or um, is Kiva about where you think it, it, it can be? How does the future look for Kiva, and, and what are its, its long-term goals? I think we're just starting. Yeah. I really do. Um, 
I feel like when we first opened the doors in 2005, it was this incredibly innovative model um, that really captured people's imagination. And uh, with the experiments we're doing, um, with the tuition loans, with the clean energy loans, um, with agriculture loans, and also with, uh, with small medium enterprises. So um, we're looking at crowdfunding, socially responsible, socially mission-driven uh, small medium enterprises in emerging economies. Mm. Um, so for example, in Haiti, we crowdfunded a $100,000 loan for a business that's gonna create 300 new jobs in Haiti, help with uh, uh, work against soil erosion and, um, and uh, that's sustainable and will grow over time. Um, so we're crowdfunding these small medium enterprises that are doing really good uh, work in emerging markets. Um, and the more we're able to do that, plus all these other small experiments, um, I think we can really transform um, what is achievable mm -hmm. um, in the social enterprise space, the small medium enterprise space, plus all the micro loan, uh, creative micro lending that we're doing right now. Um, as technology develops, the Kiva Zip program, um, that here in the U.S. has the potential to radically transform how um, small business owners access credit. Yeah. So if we can prove that a FICO score alone does not determine whether or not you're credit worthy, imagine how many more people would be able to pursue um, their small business dream, right? Um, if a, a previously incarcerated person can get a $10,000 loan to start their job placement business for other uh, previously incarcerated people um, and have that business be successful and have them successfully repay their loan, it, it's going it's to change things. Absolutely. Um, you know, my hope is that our ideas get stolen, frankly. Um, if, like I said, if we can, if we can prove that that social lending on on Kiva Zip um, will result in a in a still robust repayment, even if we ignore credit scores. If we can prove how that works, then I hope every bank steals that idea, because that means more and more people will have access to the credit that they've already earned in in their community and through their their work and their reputation, and not just you know a credit score that gets dinged every time you even look at it, you know? <laughs> yeah. Jason, thank you so much for coming on the show and talking. I really appreciate it. Yeah. Thank you. It's great to be here. Thanks for listening. If you're interested in learning more about the exchange, want to listen to episodes online or would like to reach out to the show, feel free to visit the show's website at the exchange show.com. 